What a blessing to be reminded this morning that we are one with Christ, that we are in him and he is in us. Praise his name. I want to introduce you to Joy Kaiser. Uh, Joy's come this morning to uh, serve as our interpreter. And uh, Joy, we welcome you. We're glad you're here. Uh, she is, uh, yes. And I, I told her that I have long arms, so she's standing off to the side a little bit so I don't smack her uh, with my Bible. But uh, she says she's been hit before, and it wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be the first time. But I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Second Thessalonians chapter 3 as we continue to um, walk through uh, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to a church just like ours. Uh, not exactly like ours, but in many senses just like ours. Made up of people just like we are, uh, going through various kinds of things. Uh, and in their case, in particular, the Apostle Paul in this second letter in, um, in particular has mentioned the difficulties that the Thessalonians were going through at this time when he wrote the letter. Um, as you remember, Paul, Paul planted that church amid some persecution. Uh, some of the Jewish people in that town did not appreciate the message of the gospel. They didn't believe that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. And so since they didn't believe that, they fought against Paul's establishment of the church in Thessalonica. And in fact, it was the Jewish people of that town that, that caused him to have to leave um, at night, kind of sneaking out of, town, out of town for his own life because they were planning on killing him. And so that persecution continued in Thessalonica even after Paul left. And so he writes this letter uh, in response to some of the things that they're going through. And as he closes the letter out, he says in chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, brothers... Pray for us. He's speaking of himself and his companions, his, his ministry partners. That the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not everyone has faith, but the Lord is faithful. And he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. Now verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Again, I want to reread verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, this is one of the verses in Scripture that speaks of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all in one verse. When it says, may the Lord direct your hearts, he's speaking of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he says, that he would direct our hearts into God's love. There he's speaking of the Father. God the Father and his great love for us demonstrated for us in this, as he says in Romans chapter 5, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a lot of love. Dying for good people would be one thing, but dying for sinners, that's a whole other thing, and that's what Christ has done for us according to the love of God the Father. And then he, find, he finishes it off with a mention of some of Christ's work. He says, and Christ's perseverance. 
Christ's perseverance, the children of God in Thessalonica, excuse me, in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians, they needed perseverance. They were going through some tough stuff. Do you know who else needs perseverance? Everybody who's ever been a believer in Jesus Christ, including every single one of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are going through or or will be going through or have gone through some tough stuff. And like the Lord Jesus Christ, who here the Apostle Paul says, this is Christ's perseverance that we're talking about. We're not, we're not asking you to conjure up your own. He says, may the Lord, the Holy Spirit, guide you into God's love and Christ's perseverance. And last week, as we, as we started talking about this, we looked at the physical perseverance of the Lord Jesus Christ that he went through throughout his life, and especially toward the end of his life as he approached his death. Tremendous perseverance. That is the perseverance of Christ. But now what what the Apostle Paul is asking the Lord to do in the Thessalonians and also for all of us who read this letter, he's asking that the Lord also would guide us, would open the way for us to walk in the perseverance of Christ. Particularly through the difficulties that we face. And not only the difficulties that we face, but the difficulties that each other face. Because as part of the body of Christ, we are in this together. And he reminds us, even at the beginning of this letter, of the importance of prayer in this whole process. The Apostle Paul was facing difficulties. The Apostle Paul was facing persecution. What did he do? He said, pray for me. I need help. He had his companions with him. We need help. Pray for us. So that reminds us, we're in this together. And so as we look at the perseverance of Christ himself, as we did last week, and I'd encourage you, if you weren't here, go back and listen to the message or go back through the the gospel and look at the life of Christ and see the perseverance that Jesus had to go through all that he went through, not because he had to, but because he chose to for us. If he didn't go through all that, then we were sunk. Because we would have died and, and, and would continue to, to be dead in our sins. But instead, because he did go through all that, because he did persevere, he gave us the opportunity to know him, to be forgiven of our sins, and to have the hope of everlasting life. That's the hope that we walk in. That's the hope that we live in. But as we, as we did last week, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12 just for a moment. I want to reread a passage that we looked at last week. Um, It speaks of Jesus and his perseverance, and then it speaks of our adopting that perseverance as our own. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And remember, this passage follows the great chapter in the Bible on faith. Hebrews chapter 11, a great, great chapter on faith. Some great stories, just brief snippets of the stories that take you back to the Old Testament. Show us the way that God worked in the people in the Old Testament. And with those people in mind, he makes this comment in chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter or finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So here the the writer of Hebrews is saying the same thing that the Apostle Paul did in 2 Thessalonians. Take that perseverance of Jesus and make it your own. And he continues, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And that's probably a reference to the Lord Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember when it says that he sweat droplets of blood? That was in his resistance against the temptation to end it right there, just to leave. Just say, okay, I'm out of here. You remember his prayer? If there's another way, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. It's probably a reference to that resistance that was going on in Jesus at that very moment. He goes on, verse 5. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, now he's quoting uh, from the Proverbs. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons for what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Now, let's think about that for a few minutes. Here the writer of Hebrews is, is expounding on what Paul was talking about in 2 Thessalonians 3 when he asked the, the Holy Spirit to, to guide us or direct us into Christ's perseverance. We see the picture that he paints of Jesus actually going through all that he went through. He literally did the things that the scriptures say that he did. He succumbed to the power of those soldiers willfully. He, he, he completely allowed it. They didn't do to him anything that he didn't allow. They did all the things that we talked about last week in the arrest and the trial, all the, all the torture stuff they did for him. He walked down the Via Della Rosa through Jerusalem carrying that cross for a ways until he couldn't carry it any longer and they got somebody else to carry it for him. He went to the cross. He allowed them to nail the nails into his wrists and, 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 and feet. He allowed the, so the soldier to send the spear through his side. He allowed all that. 
There's a picture of his perseverance. He kept going, he kept going, he kept going. And here the writer of Hebrews gives us a little bit of insight into how he did it, which is good insight for us. For the joy set before him. For the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame. And so what he's telling us to do in response to this, as we fix our eyes on him, as the Lord directs our hearts into Christ's perseverance, we need to think about the joy that's set before us. As we think back to our childhood, and some of you are in your childhood, so you don't have to think back far. But those of us who are a little older, we think back to our childhood, and we think of how really idiotic our parents were at times. Right? How they just did not understand. They just did not get it. But we still, in many, most, hopefully some cases, um, did what they said. And then later on when we got older, we said, oh, makes some sense. Now I get what they're doing. Now, now I get why they didn't want me to put the penny into the electrical socket. You know? Now it makes sense, now that I've done that. You know? they, were, they, were, they were training us. They were teaching us. They were disciplining us. And discipline doesn't always have in mind this, an aspect of punishment. Sometimes it's just absolute training. But remember this, all of us are always worthy of some punishment. Always, remember that about yourselves. Remember that, I'll remember that about myself. Remember that. When, when we're going through difficulties, remember, as hard as they might be, if everybody knew everything and we remembered everything, then we'd remember, yeah, we could say that we got this coming to us, no matter what it might be, when we, especially when we think about our sinfulness against God. But remember this. When he speaks in this passage of discipline, he's not just talking about punishment. He's talking about training. And so we, like we look back at what our parents did, and some of us are experiencing that right now, and we're encouraging you kids to remember your parents know what they're doing. They're not perfect They're not going to make the right decision every time, but you can count on what they're teaching you. Do what they say. Because they have a a better view of what's coming in the future. And you know who has a better view for us of what's coming in the future? God. Jesus had that view. That's how he made it through for the joy that was set before him. Do you know what he saw as he walked through persecution and suffering of the cross. Do you know what he saw? He saw things that were giving him joy, that were going to give him joy in the future. And remember, as we look to the future, especially to our home in glory that's promised to us in Christ, as we look to that, there's a lot of joy there. As we think about what we're going to be able to experience in the presence of God, first of all, we're going to be in the presence of God. That that alone, that's enough. But that's not all there is. There's more. We keep those things in mind like Jesus did. The good things are going to happen as a result of the things that we're going through right now. And some of us say, well, wait a minute. 
you don't know what I'm going through right now. There is nothing good about this. Lots of the difficulties that we face, we cannot see the good in it at all. So you know what we have to do? We have to trust that our Heavenly Father knows how to take what we're going through and to make something good out of it. He's promised that. And that's part of what this explanation of of going through difficulty as discipline is about. It's a reminder. Trust in God like you trusted in your parents. He's got this no matter what it is. Find the joy that's going to come as a result of it. That's a hard process. That's a hard thing to do. That's how the Apostle Paul was able to say in 1 Thessalonians, be joyful always, in chapter 5, verse 16. He, he was, and remember what the Apostle Paul was going through. Remember who wrote that. He was the guy who was imprisoned in Philippi. Remember that? After he'd been flogged. After he'd, after he'd had his back whipped open, he was put down in the darkest part of the dungeon with Silas. And he was a Roman citizen. That was against the law. What they did to him was against the law. But you know what he did that night? He wasn't down there whining about them breaking the law and, treating, and mistreating him. He was down there praising God and praying. The Apostle Paul knew what it meant to be joyful in all circumstances. He did it. He lived it. Now, in his case, the Lord intervened in the midst of that difficult situation, caused an earthquake to come, a a very unique type of earthquake, and, and a lot of the work of God is very unique. You see it in the you see it in the in the scripture and you see it in your own experience. He does amazing things, and he, only, he, he usually only does them once like that. Now, he's brought lots of earthquakes, probably, in, into people's lives. But in, the, but in this particular case, he brought an earthquake that shook the foundations of the prison, shook them to the point that the chains fell off their, their hands, and the stocks came unbuckled on their feet, but the walls of the place didn't fall down. So, so again, this is, a, this is a God-type earthquake that was very, very specific in its damage. It also enabled the doors of the prison to open. So the chains are off, the stocks are opened, the doors are open, and what do you have for that? you got everybody getting out of there. But the first thing the Apostle Paul did was get all the prisoners back together and say, guys, we're not leaving. What? Do you see what just happened here? I mean, our chains came off, the stocks opened up, the doors are open. Of course we're leaving. Paul said, no, we're not. We're staying here. And they listened to him. And so as the jailer is about to kill himself because he knows what prisoners do when they have an opportunity, and certainly they had the opportunity at this moment, they were going to leave. They were going to escape. And he was going to be killed for it because he was going to lose his prisoners. So he's going to go ahead and save the anybody else the the trouble of killing him he's going to kill himself he's got the dagger out he's about to stab himself and Paul says don't hurt yourself 
we're all still here. Not just me and Silas, the goody, the goody two-shoe guys. We're talking about the murderers and the rapists and the thieves and all the other guys that are down here. We're all still here. And the first thing the jailer asked, you remember it? Men, what must I do to be saved? How did he know to ask that question? Well, he probably told Paul and Silas a thousand times to shut up that night. As as a good jailer would. He heard something that night. He heard what those guys were doing that night in the midst of their trial. Now, did they know that jail was going to open up? Did they know that a specialized earthquake was going to come and free them? No. So when you're thinking, I I cannot see any good in this jail that I'm in right now, whatever the circumstances are, I cannot see any good in it. Just remember, they couldn't see it either. And what did they do? They praised God for the joy that was set before them. Something good was going to happen. God was doing something in them or something in the people around them. He was doing something that this experience that they were going through was going to bring glory to him. And so without even being able to see it, without even being able to really to imagine it, they continued to praise God. They had the joy set before them. They knew that at the worst case scenario, and think about this as being a worst case. Worst case scenario, they're going to die from their injuries, from their abuse of that night. And then what happens? Oh, we have to go into the glory of the Lord for all eternity. That's the worst case scenario that could happen that night. So maybe that was the joy that was set before them. Maybe they didn't even have the courage or the faith to think that God was going to do something through their their imprisonment to do something great, but at least they knew when it was over, they're going to be in glory. Somehow we can find the joy that is set before us if we know Jesus Christ. Because at least... We're going to be in his presence for all eternity. That's at least. That's not counting the other stuff that he has planned to do through us in this life through the things that we go through. And we do go through them. We do go through them. We're going to go through them. That's why I wanted to share a number of scriptures with you this morning just to remind us. It isn't just in 2 Thessalonians. It isn't just in Hebrews. Look also at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 22. Speaking of Jesus... Remember, the one who suffered for the joy set before him. And we're supposed to look to him. This is what Peter says about him. Verse 22, he committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. In other words, he didn't deserve any of this. We can always think of some way that we deserve something, but never Jesus. When they hurled hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. If he drove down 400 
it truly would be the hospitality highway. Because that's how he operated. He, he wasn't a road rage guy of any sort. He didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, look what he did. Remember, we're trying to, to take his perseverance and, put, and, and live that ourselves. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. See, as he was getting ready to go to the cross, he was going there for judgment. The righteous judgment of God was going to be accomplished on that cross. As the one who committed no sin was about to take upon himself the sins of all the sinners. Us. He committed himself to that one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Because he did that, we can do this. That's what we do now. Good times, bad times, we do this. We live our lives for the overseer of our souls. Because Jesus kept going. Because he didn't retaliate. He didn't fight back. He didn't quit. He didn't just leave like he could have. Remember, he could have. He had the physical power to relieve himself of all persecution, of all suffering at any instant. He could have done it at any time. He, remember how he proved it. Remember what he did to the soldiers when they came to arrest him. Never forget that. That's a critical inclusion in the gospel. When they came to arrest him, and he said, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. Identified himself with the God of the burning bush. And what did they do? They fell on their backs. The soldiers, highly trained, physically fit, men of violence, upon hearing Jesus' response, I am he. They fell on their backs. He could have done that to them anytime he wanted to. He didn't do it at all. He just let them see it. He let us see it. Everything that happened from that point forward was voluntary on his part. Nobody made him do anything. He went with them. He allowed that to happen so that we could be sitting here this morning glorying in his suffering and learning how to glory in our own with the perseverance of Christ. Paul said it. The writer of the Hebrews said it. Peter said it. Look what James says in chapter 1. Just one one, uh, book back toward the beginning ahead of of Peter. James is there. Look at chapter 1. James 1, you're not going to like this. James 1, 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. See, there's this idea of the joy set before Jesus. We consider it pure joy, my brothers, 
whenever we face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. This is the perseverance of Christ that we're talking about. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That that very word, mature and complete, goes right back to Jesus, the author and finisher, completer of our faith. You know what he's doing in your life through this difficulty that you're facing right now or that you'll face later this week or next year? You know what he's doing? He's finishing you. He's completing you. He's maturing you. He's getting the job done that he promised to do when he started the work in you the moment you received Christ. The moment you asked him to come into your life to forgive you of your sins. Recognizing that you needed a savior because you were lost and dead in your sins. When you realized that and you came to Jesus, he started a work in you. He saved you. And he committed himself at that moment by the power of his Holy Spirit who he sent to live in you. He committed himself to grow you, to finish you, and he'll use every circumstance of your life to do it. Every single one. There won't be one, and you're not going through one right now, that doesn't fit into the category. He is finishing his work in you. And he, as a father more wise than any earthly father that we ever had, he knows exactly what it takes to finish the job in us. In us, all of us. He knows the individual plan. Because all of us are different. All of us learn differently. All of us have different weaknesses and different strengths and all those kind of things. He knows all of them. He knows exactly what it takes to get the job done in our lives. And then also, this is the, another amazing, it's all amazing. It's another amazing thing. He also knows the people that you hang around. Your wives, your husbands, your children, your parents, your sisters, your brothers, your friends at church, your co-workers. He knows the people that you hang around and he knows what they need. And sometimes what they need is for you to go through something. Thanks a lot. I wasn't looking at you. Thank, thanks a lot. No, he knows. None of the stuff that we're dealing with and that we will, do, will deal with, none of it's in a vacuum. It's not just us. We're, we're all in this. That's why he said pray for us. We need the Lord's help to do this stuff. We need the Lord's help to do this stuff. We want to shine for Christ. Even through our difficulties, we need the Lord's help to do that. We want to encourage each other through our difficulties. We need the Lord's help to do that. He can and he will do it. He's committed himself to it. That's why we can even find joy in it. Pure joy. James even elevates another step up. He doesn't say like the Apostle Paul, be joyful in all circumstances. He says, pure joy. The ultimate joy, even in the darkest night, the longest, darkest night that we can imagine, even then, 
He says, consider it pure joy because I'm doing something. I'm doing something in you and in those around you that you can't even imagine. And I'm going to finish it. And it's going to be awesome when it's over. Amazing when it's over. He's got it all planned out and all worked out. And so as he asked the Lord to direct the hearts of the Thessalonians into the love of God and the perseverance of Christ. He's he's encouraging them to take upon themselves this characteristic that Jesus had higher than anybody else has ever had it. This, This characteristic, this attribute of perseverance. He's saying, take what Jesus has. Don't come up with your own kind. Take the Jesus kind, the joy set before you kind. And where do we learn about the joy set before us? Where do we learn of what's going to happen so that we have this future joy in our sights? We learn it in the word of God all the time, every day, every Sunday, all the time. We keep looking at the word of God as, as our children are looking at it right now in Kids Way Worship. As we look at the word of God, we're finding out what he's promised, what he said he's going to do, and that establishes for us the framework to handle this stuff. That's where we know the joy that's set before us. What's coming in our lives. Finally this morning, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. And listen, these aren't the only verses on this. But if I went to all of them, it would take us forever to get through 2 Thessalonians. As some have said, it already is. uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know... That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be, to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers." There's some joy right there. Jesus has in mind for us to be his brothers and sisters for eternity. And he's looking forward to welcoming us into glory as his brothers and sisters. Having already been conformed into his likeness. Oh, he's going to do some finishing touches at that moment. John says that. When we, when we see him, we'll be like him, for we see him as he is. There, so there's, some, there's still some stuff he's going to finish. But in the, this whole process of life is him conforming us to his likeness. That's what this is all about. More like Jesus. More like Jesus. I kidded about 400. There's really no kidding about it. More like Jesus. 
And Sherry can't believe I'm saying that. Because she so many times said, don't do it. He might have a gun. <laughs> Not just, yeah, it's coming. Um, not just because the guy who just cut you off might have a gun. Just don't do it because we're, more, we're being more like Jesus. Jesus didn't do that. That wasn't the way he operated. It's not the way we operate. And just move that into all the different aspects of your struggles in life, of your temptations in life, and remember, we don't need that. That's, that's not part of what he's trying to do in us to make us ready for that day when he welcomes us into glory as his brothers and sisters, the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And he will use everything that we're going through, even the most severe things. And I make light of none of them. None of us know the depth and the severity of the stuff that some of us go through. But Jesus knows. Jesus knows. And it hasn't hit his level yet. And it won't. And all of us, as he did, for the joy set before him, for the joy set before us, we can also endure whatever it might be. Knowing that he is working. All the things that he's promised, he will do. Let's bow together for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, you are a great God. And that's hard for us to say some days when we don't understand why you're allowing or causing certain things to happen in our lives. We just don't get it. And it's hard for us to say you're a great God. But you are. And we thank you for revealing yourself to us in your creation and in your word that we can have some joy set before us also so that we can endure whatever it is that you have for us. That you've planned for us because you know us and you know the people that we're with and what will do the best in accomplishing your plans and purposes in our lives and in their lives. And Father, even in some cases, we know even our enemies' lives. lives. We don't always see the whole picture, but we thank you that you do. And so we ask, as the Apostle Paul asked, as he asks your blessing on the Thessalonians, Father, we ask your blessing on us, that you would direct our hearts into your love, and the perseverance of Christ. Help his perseverance to be ours as we live this life for your glory. And Father, for those who haven't yet put their trust in Jesus, we ask that you would draw them. We ask that you would work in their lives. We ask that you would turn the light on in their minds so that they can see that Jesus is all that they need to be forgiven of their sins and given eternal life in your glory. And it's in Jesus' great name that we pray. Amen.